when things in my business don't go the way I want them to, or you know, things don't work out, I don't get a deal that I really want, just knowing that there is a reason for all of that. There's a lesson in it, or it's not the right fit, it's not the right partnership. And being able to roll with that and not get really upset about it, not let it ruin my day or ruin my week, but just thinking, okay, cool. The universe has something better in store for me. Let's just keep moving. Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey Tribe, if you are anything like me, at some point you have probably made more than one bad decision. I know I have experienced some fear, let things hold you up, and maybe even experienced a little bit of uh, lack of self-esteem or lack of confidence. And today's guest is no different. Angela Pugh shared with me that after bartending her way across Hollywood and Beverly Hills, she found herself over it in over her head with a drinking problem that was relentless. Uh, She tried outpatient treatment, spent some time in jail, and eventually ended up with an incredibly devastating car accident. And Angela had to face not only her demons, but that sobriety was the only choice for her. As a result of moving through this uh, really incredible experience, She dedicated her life to personal development and now has um, a very successful business helping people through addiction and also build businesses after addiction and or rebuild their careers. So she's just truly an amazing person. I love her heart. And one of the other things that we talked about, which I thought was really interesting, and I hope that you will too, is the characteristics and some of the traits that both people with addiction and entrepreneurs tend to share. It was really fascinating. And she talks about how to use some of those traits that can make some of us a little bit out of the box or an oddball to your benefit by really owning that and how to use it positively. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I did in getting to sit with Angela And let's dive in. Hey, Angela, I am really excited about our conversation today. One of the things I was thinking about as I was prepping for the interview is for my tolerance, my my lowering and lowering tolerance for people and people's BS. And when I read your bio again, I was like, this woman is so direct. (laughs) (laughs) And for everybody who's listening, this is how it starts out. It's in the show notes. You can read the rest of it. But 
After bartending her way across Hollywood and Beverly Hills, Angela found herself in in over her head with a drinking problem that was relentless. I'll leave the rest of it because we're going to talk about it. But I was like, like other people would add that in the middle or the end. And, you know, and that's what turned your life around. But you're like, boom, right, right out of the gates. And thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, really, I mean, I feel like I wouldn't have the rest of my life if I hadn't had that experience, you know, because really being an alcoholic, having to get sober and face all of those challenges and those demons, that was the catalyst for me that brought me into self-help, personal development, which then over the course of years and working on myself brought me to entrepreneurship and, you know, really being just in love with business and growing business. And those were things I never could have fathomed Mm -hmm. all those years ago, sitting in my active addiction, right? Like I didn't even think I would live to be an older person, more or less a a successful, driven, overachiever older person, you know? Right, right, right. Well, and here you are. And I'm going to say, I think this is the first time I've had somebody who has had a drinking problem or you know, been addicted to, I'm going to say anything that we've talked about on the show. So I'm really looking forward to that because there's so many parallels that I see when we talked about this in our pre-interview between some of your experiences and entrepreneurship in general. I'm not saying any one entrepreneur has, you know, or all entrepreneurs are addicted to any one thing, but there's some parallels in the behavior that I had noticed before and I find interesting. So I'm looking forward to diving into that, but share with everybody just like a little bit of your backstory and some of the highs, the lows, what the catalyst for real change was for you and and how that's shaped your journey because you help people now in a number of, of tremendous ways that are very transformative. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's just what I live for, you know, and it is only because of my personal experience. Like, again, when I had to get sober, I felt like I was such a terrible human, you know, because our behaviors in addiction are not fantastic. You know, we're not out in the world making our best decisions. We're not the most honest people. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. And your self-esteem takes such a hit. And to see myself grow into a person and become different, I knew very early on in my sobriety that that's all I wanted to do with my life. I knew I just wanted to help other people have that same sort of change. Mm -hmm. And really, I want to say thank you to you also for having me on because I feel like oftentimes when I'm reaching out to people, because I do work in addiction and I am a life coach and those things, but I am an entrepreneur first and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm a recovering alcoholic. So it makes sense that I do that work. And it was the whole catalyst for me. But oftentimes I feel like people hear the word addiction or alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, and they get very intimidated by that. So I really appreciate you giving me the chance to come on and and get out of the addiction box and and wear my entrepreneur hat for a little bit. <laughs> it's a nice change. <laughs> Very welcome. And I believe, and part of what I want, and I hope that I'm doing with this show, is to have difficult and different conversations. Mm-hmm. So when I see something that's different that I haven't had on the show, I'm really interested. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way on my podcast too. You love the things that that are a little outside of the box and that will really resonate with your audience. I mean, that's what we all want to do, you know, mm-hmm. is help the people that are listening. So for me, I I won't go into all the gory details, but uh, I certainly had a drinking problem for many, many years. And the breaking point for me or the rock bottom moment, as many people know that term, the rock bottom moment for me was I crashed my car on the freeway at 70 miles an hour and I hit another car. And in those moments following my accident, I really thought I killed the person that I hit. So I'm standing on the side of the freeway in my skirt and heels, you know, cause I'd had a night out and of course I had to be cute And I'm gushing blood out of my face because my face hit the steering wheel and my nose was broken. So I'm pouring blood everywhere. And I'm thinking, wow, I have to call my mom right now and tell her that I just killed somebody. Like, how do you have that conversation? You know, and and I have a mom that is amazing, you know, the quintessential, incredible mom, honest, integrity, hardworking, you know, just incredible. I'm like, I'm going to literally break her heart in one sentence. And thank goodness I was the only one hurt. The guy I hit was not hurt at all. And I don't, I would love to tell you a time frame, but uh, needless to say, the details of my accident are a little sketchy. I wasn't in my right mind. So I think it really was just a few minutes, probably less than 10 minutes that I was in that mindset. But what it did for me really was I had never considered the fact that I could hurt someone else. And, you know, that's part of the human condition to be pretty self-absorbed, right? We think about ourselves and our needs and our wants more than anything else. But in my drinking, like I always knew I could hurt me, but I never, ever thought I could hurt someone else. So that was it for me. I was done. I was like, this is not the life I want. On some level, I felt betrayed by alcohol. Like I really felt like it had turned on me. And I got sober right after that and have now been sober uh, 16 and a half years since 2006. Wow. That's amazing. And congratulations. Thank you. I am curious too, because like, it would be really easy to have that thought, see that the guy's not hurt, hang out for a little while in remorse and regret. And then at some point slip back into the same pattern. So like, did you have to talk to yourself or like what happened so that you really made this decision stick? So, I mean, I was really scared, you know, and this was not my first legal trouble either. I had just had my first DUI eight months prior to my accident. So I knew I was looking at a substantial piece of jail time also, as you know, my second offense and I had, you know, violated my probation and things before my accident too. So I was labeled a habitual violator in the system. And it just scared me so much to think that, that I could have killed that guy. And then it was all the what ifs, right? It was, what if I was on a side street and it was somebody on the sidewalk or on a bicycle, or what if he had a child in the backseat of his car? Because I hit him from behind at 70 miles an hour. The only reason it wasn't more catastrophic is because he was also going 
freeway speed, right? It's not like I hit him at 70 miles an hour and he was stopped. Right. And that that's the only thing that kept it from being far worse. But but I also wasn't gonna push it. <laughs> you know, I felt like I had this situation by the grace of God got out of it, you know, fairly unscathed. I mean, I was pretty banged up, but not terrible. I mean, it could have been much, much worse. And I just wasn't going to tempt fate. You know, I just, there's no, especially again, when it came to somebody else, I was not worried about me. I didn't care enough about myself to care about hurting myself. But again, all those what ifs and thinking like, you know, and that guy, like he's somebody's child. And and possibly husband and father. I mean, that's just, there's a lot of heaviness to that. So for me, it became a battle of the wills, like me against alcohol. And I just wasn't going to lose. I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how much I have to change my life. If I have to quit my job, right? Because I was a bartender. I mean, drinking was my whole job. But I was like, if I have to quit my job and move back in with my parents or, you know, whatever the thing is, like I was just willing to do anything. And I think that was my saving grace. I was super open-minded. I wasn't against anything. I went to AA. I showed up every day and my sobriety was my priority. Was it that started the drinking? Was it just a function of being in that world all the time and it kind of just... One drink leads to two, leads to the constant stream, or were you trying to escape from something or what's for me, the escaping came later. <laughs> so okay. I always joke that like I was an accidental alcoholic, right? Because it really was for me, a product of being in bars. I started working in bars when I was like 19 or 20 and it was just my environment. You know, then it became at that point, everybody I knew drank every day. Like I was around it every day. People were drinking every day. It was very normalized. And it took me many, many, many years to get really dysfunctional with alcohol. So when I started drinking really in my early 20s, 2021, a night out of drinking for me might've been two or three beers, you know, it wasn't out of control, but when you do that enough over time, then two or three beers in a night become five or six beers in a night. And that becomes 10 or 11 beers in a night. And it just grows from there. But yeah, I think the majority of it was really being in that environment. And I talk a lot with my clients about environment because that's a huge piece that we have to change in sobriety too. But yeah, it was just so normal to me, you know, for so many years of my life, everybody I knew drank every day. Wow. So just, yeah, it was just part of the the regular thing. It was the regular thing. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point were you escaping? So, you know, looking back on it now, I can see like each part of my progression really clearly. Right. Right. And for me, which is pretty common with women, it's usually an emotional event that that kind of pushes us a little farther into the dysfunctional relationship with alcohol. And that was absolutely true for me. It was always some relationship drama. I mean, of course, I was not at my best, so I certainly wasn't picking people at their best to have relationships with. So I had a lot of trauma and drama in those ways. And I'd go through a horrible breakup and be heartbroken. And then I would sink further into my addiction, right? And I would drink more. And because then it's to numb, right? You have to numb those feelings because it's so big and it's so overwhelming. Like, what do you do with it? 
And this is one of the biggest traps with alcohol also is when you are using alcohol to achieve an effect, whatever it is, numbing feelings, um, to take down your anxiety and get more comfortable, to help you sleep. When you're using alcohol for an effect, that's a real danger zone. So I used alcohol for everything. You know, if I was going to meet people and I had some anxiety, I would just be like, I'll be okay. Just have a couple of drinks. It'll all be okay. Because then you relax. If I couldn't sleep, I'd be like, well, let me have a couple of drinks because then I can fall asleep easier. But if I was tired and I needed to get in a good mood because I had a party or I had to go to work and it's like, let me have a couple of drinks and it'll get me in the party mode. You know, like I used it for everything. And in that process, you don't develop coping skills for any of those things. Right. So I had no idea. How do you cope like a regular person? How do you cope with anxiety? How do you cope with that social anxiety and that discomfort and first dates and awkwardness and new jobs and just life, right? There's a lot of awkwardness in life, but you don't develop any coping skills. I didn't know how to just be bored. I didn't know how to deal with sad or having my feelings hurt or anything because I used alcohol to cope with all of those things. And that's one of the biggest challenges getting sober, right? Now you don't have any coping skills. Yeah. So how did you master that? Because I mean, life is uncomfortable, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) And and the only thing I think we can do is, well, there's two things. You can stay in the places that don't serve you because that's comfortable. And obviously there's not a lot of growth there, but it's to really sit in that discomfort and know that it's okay to be uncomfortable so that you can have the growth experiences. And I think that's one of the keys to really being successful as an entrepreneur, but there's a certain skill set that you've, you've got to develop and master. So here you are, you're almost like a new person and you don't have any ways to cope. So how do you learn that? For me, that's really where 12 steps came in, you know, going to AA and, Because in any kind of group, I would assume people would say the same thing about weight loss groups or church or, you know, anything you get to hear other people who've already walked the walk, right? They've already done it before you. So you get to hear their stories and experiences and how they handled things. And, you know, in 12 steps, we work with sponsors and that's a lot of what a sponsor does with you is like that day to day, you know, you call your sponsor, something happened, my electricity got turned off. I don't have any money, you know, in all those day-to-day stressors when you call your sponsor and your sponsor kind of helps you work through that stuff. And 12 steps isn't for everyone. You know, it's not, there's no one size fits all, but I will say you have to have something to teach you those things. And to me, that's a person. And I'm a big proponent of coaches for everything. I have coaches for everything. And that's what my sponsor was to me really was my life coach, you know, and he taught me some great lessons. So there are a million ways to get sober and to create change in your life, but you have to be willing to take the action and We also have to understand that feelings aren't reality. And I'm probably a little lucky in that I'm a much more logic-based person than emotion-based person. I'm very analytical. And so I don't get so caught up in the feelings. And for me, it was just action. I was like, okay, 
I know I'm going to be uncomfortable. So what do I need to do? I need to make sure I have a support system. I need to make sure I have tools, whether that's books or now there's so much with the internet, you know, you have so many resources at your fingertips. I think it's much easier to have a, a robust toolbox for all of those things. Yeah. I would think that having the human interaction and connection would be one of the biggest places that you can find support and growth. For sure. And acceptance. You know, when you are uh, anybody that has an addiction, you know, you always kind of feel like the black sheep in every situation. We're usually the black sheep of the family. You know, we have crazy behaviors and and we have a lot of chaos, right? Like most of us, our lives aren't going super smooth. And I was a very high functioning alcoholic. I had a regular job. I made a lot of money. I lived in a beautiful place. I had an expensive car. From the outside, I was very high functioning, but within my family, for sure, like nobody else was like me in my family, you know, and if I would have had a regular job, like in an office or something, I would have definitely been the black sheep. So when you get the opportunity to be surrounded by people who are like you and can speak a language that you understand and understand a lot of the emotional things, because having addiction is a certain personality too. You know, we can be pretty challenging people, but we're also some of the smartest people. We are resilient and tenacious. We are hilarious. You know, we're really incredible people too. So for me, when I went to 12 steps, like that was the first time in my life I was ever around a bunch of people just like me. Yeah. What are some uh, like general characteristics of people who tend to have more challenges with addiction? Well, obviously we're compulsive, you know, and I say like, I am compulsive about everything. If I do something and like it, I want to do it more, no matter what it is. That can be people. And I always tell this story on my podcast years ago, I met this new girlfriend of mine and she was just fabulous. And we hit it off immediately. And we met at a coffee shop And I remember leaving her after the first conversation and I was walking home and I was like, wow, I wonder what she's doing later. Maybe she'll want to have coffee again. Maybe I should invite her out to dinner. Maybe she'll want to see a movie this weekend. You know, just like go, 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 because I liked it and I wanted more of it. So I can be that way with people. I can be that way with food. My poor dog definitely gets a lot of my compulsive behavior because I always want to be with them. So yeah, there's a lot of compulsion. We also tend to be stubborn and very rebellious. You know, we love to be against everything, kind of disagreeable. You don't meet very many addicted people that you give them a suggestion and they go, oh yeah, that's a great idea. You know, it's always, well, that won't work for me. I tried that once or I don't believe in that. It's, you know, we can be uh, very contrary (laughs) and stubborn for sure. And all or nothing. We really are all or nothing. I'm either completely immersed in something and loving it, or I am completely disengaged, uninterested, and doing something else. Okay. Still sounds a little bit like some entrepreneurs I know too. (laughs) A lot. Yes. I think that's why it ended up being such a good fit for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and there's a focus, I think, when you're compulsive or, or um, I'm going to say obsessed for lack of a better term, but mm-hmm. the highly focused. There we go. Because my son 
is a little ADD and he, one of the things I love about him is when he's on something, like he's absorbing everything. Yeah. Um, and he's, well, he's working for a company right now, but they're, they're, they're a small startup. So there's like five of them, but I see those similar parallels, but how did you decide or did it just kind of evolve to start helping? Like this was going to be your business was to be able to help people through addiction, recover from addiction, have a life and, and not be addicted. So I would say I knew at about four months sober, I had the first thought of, I want my life to revolve around recovery. Like, I love this. I can't believe I'm becoming a good human being because I never thought that was possible. And I was just in love with the process. And I had so much gratitude, you know, to be able to get sober and to grow as a person. So I knew that I wanted my whole life to revolve around recovery. I had no idea what that was going to look like. I've never had a regular job, right? So that was always kind of in the back of my head too, that I wasn't employable. I always say I'm a little more feral than I am domesticated. Because I was a bartender. Yeah, I was a bartender my whole life, right? I haven't, I mean, we had bosses, but it's very different in the service industry. Nobody's breathing down your neck, especially if you're good at your job. Like the bartenders typically make all the money for the establishment. So it's not like you have anybody watching you. You know, it's it's very easy. There's no responsibility. You work when you want to, you get your shift Mm -hmm. covered if you don't want to work, you make a lot of money, which is also all those things stunted my growth too. (laughs) Is why when I got sober at 33. Emotionally, I was probably about 18 because I never grew up in any of those ways. But uh, the first thing I did was I got a life coach certification. You know, I had followed Tony Robbins for many, many years and I loved self-help. Certainly once I got sober, I loved all of that stuff. So I got a life, life coach certification and I still didn't think I would do it as work. I thought I'll do this, you know, with my friends and my family. I really wanted to use the magic on myself more than anything. And it just evolved from there. And the next piece was the show Intervention. So I'm sitting in my living room one night, sober, I don't know how long, and the television show Intervention comes on. And I literally was just drawn to it. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be an interventionist. So the next couple of years just became consumed with that. Like, what do I need to learn? Who are the people I need to learn from? What courses do I take training? How do I be the best at this? And then I was an interventionist for years and years and years. I still do some interventions, but my time is so limited now. It's more challenging. But it just one thing kind of fed into the next thing. When I was 37, I decided to go to college and I did an addiction counseling program. And then I went to social work school. But by the time I got to my senior year in social work school, my intervention practice was booming. I was traveling every week. So I didn't finish social work school. And I think I started really using my coaching stuff more in that intervention realm and really right. coaching families and, and obviously coaching the person that you're, you're intervening on too. And that's when I really honed those coaching skills. And then I started a private practice with coaching. And then I did online stuff because I always traveled all over the place. So I always had clients all over the place. 
And then I opened Sober Living and that was another piece. And then I started the podcast. Like it's just one thing kind of fed into another, but there was no master plan from the beginning. I mean, I'm not doing anything now that I ever would have imagined I would be doing. (laughs) What is having your own business taught you? Oh, well, patience. (laughs) (laughs) Patience. And I think really being open-minded. You know, because again, as a person with addiction, like I can be very obstinate. So in growing business, and for me, I grew my business with zero dollars and zero knowledge and zero help. So I was self-taught for a long time. I built all my own websites, like all of that stuff, which really slowed me down a lot too, you know, but right. I I will listen to things and take in information and immediately discount it, right? Like I was just going through something this morning, an online course that I had bought a year ago. And in the last year, I've had all these growth pieces as you do in business. And so I'm listening to this stuff a year later and I'm like, oh, now I get why we do it that way. Huh? Wish I would have done it a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> had a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is just being, it's really going with the flow, understanding that there is a reason for everything. When things in my business don't go the way I want them to, or, you know, things don't work out, I don't get a deal that I really want. Just knowing that there is a reason for all of that. There's a lesson in it, or it's not the right fit. It's not the right partnership. And being able to roll with that and not get really upset about it, not let it ruin my day or ruin my week, but just thinking, okay, cool. The universe has something better in store for me. Let's just keep moving. I think that's so beautiful. Like we all have to remember that. Yes. In life too. It's the same thing in life, you know? Yeah. And what parallels do you see between addiction and entrepreneurship? Because you work with a number of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I do business coaching, all that kind of stuff too, uh, just because I love it, you know? And again, that's why, like I said at the beginning, thank you for having me on because I feel like I don't get to speak about that part of myself in my life and, you know, growing and scaling business is one of my favorite things, you know, and is a lot of what I do even in the addiction realm. But I mean, obviously being really compulsive and obsessive is super helpful (laughs) in in entrepreneurship. (laughs) I think having a lust for learning is Mm -hmm. very helpful. And I feel like a lot of addicted people are super smart. We just, we have brains that move very quickly, which with anxiety is to our detriment, but in business, that's a really great asset. Yeah. And just the tenacity of it, you know, to, to be a sober person, like literally every piece of you changes, every piece of your life changes, every relationship that you have, your whole world gets turned upside down. And all you can do is grin and bear it and figure out a way to be okay with it. You know? And I feel like entrepreneurship has a lot of those same qualities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes a very special person to be an entrepreneur and start their business and grow it and and stay with it for it to be successful because there are very few overnight successes. For sure. Yeah. And and it's great to hear, you know, the people that are like, oh, in three months I did blah, 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 blah. But they don't talk about the like 
three failed businesses they had for 10 years before. Right. That's what I was going to say. They don't talk about the prior decade of all of, you know, the small victories and big losses, because that's all part of the game. And you're exactly right. It's the sticking to it, you know, which again is the same thing in recovery. It's like, you have to stick to it. It has to be a priority. You have to be willing to make sacrifices And it's the same thing in entrepreneurship. I have to be willing to sacrifice some time sometimes or time with my family or relaxation time sometimes. I can't watch television when I want to sometimes because my priority is to get certain things done. So yeah, you have to be willing to do those things and really stick with it. Absolutely. Let's talk about leadership. Sure. Because there's in moving through addiction to me, you have to lead yourself, right? Like you can have all the support you want in the world and you can talk to your sponsor and go to group and everything else. But at the end of the day, you have to decide every day not to drink, which is hard. Many many times a day. Yeah. (laughs) And that again, for me, transitions into the certain leadership of being an entrepreneur and staying the course, deciding every day, even when you don't feel like showing up or it's easier to go watch TV to keep moving forward. So I'll tell you one, a great thing I heard early in my recovery that I have always used in business as well is every decision I make, every action I take is getting me closer to a drink or farther away from a drink, right? So when a friend calls me and says, Hey, do you want to meet us to watch a game? And like, it's my drinking friends. Like I have to do a little calculation in my head of like, "Mm, am I in a good place? Am I feeling good that I can go for an hour or so and hang out with some drinking people and be okay with that? I don't worry about relapsing and drinking. Like I really have no desire to drink. At the same time, addiction is a monster on another level, you know, and I have to always be aware that on some level, it will always be stronger than me. I have to be very mindful of how I live my life and making sure that I'm taking care of myself and my mental wellness. So if I get that same phone call and I'm tired or I'm super stressed out about things and I'm not in a great mental place... I'm not accepting that invitation to go meet my drinking friends for a game, right? Because that's a little step closer to a drink. Again, it's just metaphor. Not that I'm actually going to drink, but it's not the healthiest choice for me. Same thing in entrepreneurship. It's like, am I going to go to the pool with my girlfriends or do I have some work that I need to get done? Like Every decision, everything I do throughout my day either gets me closer to my goals or farther away from my goals. And I have to keep that top of mind and you have to figure out where your level of commitment is to it and what your time frame is in accomplishing things. I mean, there's a lot of pieces of the equation, but... Yeah. I mean, I think you can use that with all aspects of life. Are you getting mm-hmm. closer or further away? And it's funny because I have a similar question that I ask myself regularly with where I'm at, like, is this going to help me or not, right? From whether or not I eat the you know, next piece of chocolate to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, same thing. Do I go to the pool or do I sit down and write the blog article? So, yeah. yeah. I think it's hard. One of the hardest things in sobriety and entrepreneurship, one of my biggest struggles has been that you will outgrow 
relationships, and situations. Mm -hmm. You will outgrow people. You will outgrow businesses, right? Like I've had businesses that I've sold because it just wasn't, it just didn't fit anymore. Partnerships that I've gotten out of because it just didn't fit anymore. Especially when you are on a consistent path of self-discovery and growth and evolution and building business and always getting better and wanting to be better and do more. When you're really consistently on that path, you will outgrow people for sure. And that has been a little bit of a struggle because it kind of makes you sad, you know, like for me, like I want everybody to be on this bus with me and (laughs) changing our lives and conquering the world, you know, because to me, it's so much fun, but to everybody else, it's not so much fun. And sometimes people don't see your vision. This is the same in sobriety too. You know, not everybody in your family and not all of your friends are going to understand that you really can't ever have just one drink. So they don't know how to support you. And some people are still going to drink around you, you know, or maybe you have to go to holidays and your whole family is still going to drink, right? Like you have to figure out how to navigate those situations and protect yourself and be okay. And without other people really seeing your vision and being able to support you a hundred percent. Yeah. And that, I think that's true in life too. I mean, it's yeah, particularly throughout my life, some of the, I don't know, crazy and not so crazy ideas I've had, people don't get on board. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm the one that has to be able to drive the bus so that I can get to where I want to be. So it it is sometimes it does feel like kind of a lonely journey. Uh yes. people are, are <laughs> jumping off sometimes more enthusiastically than others. <laughs> like, yep, there she is. She's got another crazy idea. There she goes again. <laughs> Do that in a million years. But I like I have no regrets about about those decisions. And if I decide to expand them or not, like there's always a great learning experience for me. Well, and I love being a person that doesn't shrink to my fear, right? Because that's how I lived in my drinking life. Like I always shrunk to accommodate my fear. I never, I was never brave or courageous and went, okay, yeah, I'm a little freaked out, but I'm doing it anyway. You know, like I just, There's so many things in my life that I wanted to do that I would never do just out of anxiety and fear. And I don't want to live that way in my sober life, right? And I love being a person who's like, oh, yeah, this is uncomfortable. Let's go for it. You know, (laughs) like look it in the face and move forward anyway, you know? You know, it's funny you're saying that too, because I've the last couple of weeks, particularly, I've been really looking at like where I'm at and the things that I still want to accomplish and where I, maybe I'm not playing a big enough game. Mm -hmm. And every time that comes across to me, like, and I'm aware of I'm like, Ooh, so what do I do now to like really bust through that? Right. Because there's, I don't feel like there's ever a level where you're like done. It's just getting to the next place, the next place too. So well, and figuring out like what the skills are that you need to get to the next place and the next place, because it's a different skill set and a different mindset at every level of the game. You need different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And who who do I bring in? How do I ask for support? What do I have to learn and take on? Uh, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like it's not mm-hmm. something that's stressing me out. It's more the inquisitive curiosity of, all right, like it's time to level up again. <laughs> so, yeah. Like let's yeah. make some magic. 
And it sounds I love change too. Like I find change to be invigorating. It's exciting. And of course, like a good alcoholic, I like that hit, you know, you get a hit. It's like, Ooh, this is good. Let's go. Let's ride this wave for a while. And I love that. You know, I think, I think the majority of people kind of go the other way with it. Certainly people with addiction get really freaked out about change, you know, because we are routine driven people too. There's predictability in routines, which creates a sense of safety. You know, I know what's going to happen. I know how it's going to be. I know where I'm going to be. I know the times and that creates a sense of safety. And when change comes about, it can really throw you off. But I just think it's so invigorating. I love spicing things up a bit. I do too. I mean, I, I love a good routine. It's kind of that mm-hmm. contrast, but sure, me too. Me too. Too much of the same old, same old, and I get bored and then I'm not showing up fully. So it's I've yeah. got a constant variation. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not I, stimulated. Like if I get yeah. too used to it, I'm not stimulated anymore. And that's not healthy for me either. No, no. I think that's what really makes, like creates new ideas is having not constant stimulation. Like you're on your phone checking. But yeah but interactive human connection and learning new things and, and intentionality so that you can continue to expand. What piece of advice would you give to somebody, to a, like a new entrepreneur or somebody who's taking on a new leadership role? You know, really, I would say, give yourself some grace. It is when anything is new, it, it's not easy. You're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to hit it out of the park on the first try. Like, there's a lot of trial and error, just like everything in life. It's a lot of trial and error. There are a lot of bumps in the road. The universe is definitely going to throw you curveballs. There's no way around it. So just give yourself some grace mm-hmm. and, and make sure that you're working on the core pieces so that you can deal with the curveballs. You know, make sure you're dealing with your emotional investment and and trying to stay even, not overreacting, not getting too connected to fear or disappointment or having your feelings hurt, certainly in any public arena, as you know, when you really put yourself out there with a podcast and videos and all of that stuff, you're going to have people be unkind, you know, and you can't get too attached to that. So you really have to give yourself a lot of grace, like stay in the game, make sure you're practicing some good self-care and self-regulation and uh, just give yourself some grace. You know, it's going to be a hell of a ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it it will be. And I think the grace, particularly for women is really challenging because we're supposed to be handling it all. Especially moms. Yeah. Yeah. Moms and wives, because I think you get so wired to care for others first and uh, and definitely are, are kind of hard on yourself for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to wrap up with, with that because I think that's such a important thing to focus on is just give yourself some grace and share with everybody where um, they can find you and, and where they can find your podcast. Sure. The podcast is called Addiction Unlimited and you can find it at addictionunlimited.com. Probably the best place to find me really is in our Facebook group, same name, Addiction Unlimited. Uh, great spot to be, really fun, super supportive. And as crazy as it sounds, not everybody in there has addiction. <laughs> we have, I work with lots of people with lots of for lots of reasons. So not everybody in there has addiction, but it is a super supportive place. And you know, we put a lot of focus and emphasis on just life skills 
skills and coping skills and everybody needs work in those areas. So, yeah, absolutely. And for me, at least everything that you're touching on today in our conversation, yes, it applies to addiction, but it really applies to just everybody in general and, and those life skills that you, you mentioned. Um, yeah, that's all recovery is. Honestly, yeah. recovery is just growing up. You know, we have to grow up and we have to learn those coping skills and we have to get some emotional intelligence, right? It's just growing up and and everybody has to do that. We just, sometimes we do it a little late. Yes. Well, <laughs> we're all at, at our own pace. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, Angela. It's been absolute pleasure. Thank you. Such a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 